Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to uh, probably shorten things up here a little this morning simply because of time. Uh, people back home are just saying, where is he? Where is he? I'm here now. I hope they grab hold of that. But in Colossians chapter 1, we have been going verse by verse through this uh, wonderful letter that Paul wrote to a church. And he, he wrote to them because he said, you need to know some things. You need to be aware, and I want to instruct you. I want to give you the word of God. I want you to understand what's going on in your world. In a chapter, or verse 15 of chapter 1, he talks about Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. And that's where we stopped. We stopped with that issue that he's creator God and he's holding everything together, that he is the sustainer of the world. It's by his power and his actions, by his word, that causes the sun to shine the rain to fall, uh, the earth to rotate, gravitation to work, and seasons come and go. All those things are because Jesus, creator of the world, has held everything by the word of his power. So um, on our way home, we were up in Michigan over the week, uh, over Friday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, we were saying the trees are beginning to turn a little bit. And no one had to tell them that. The trees know what to do because the season is coming because our creator God made that possible. He said, you're, this is what you're going to do, and it's going to be a season. So we've talked a lot about that. But to go on, let me, let me read these scriptures because it's verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Again, I I'm, I'm, just want to remind you that what Paul is doing was confronting the Greek philosophies of the time. And their worship of Caesar, they worshiped Caesar. They treated him as a god in Rome. And that was under the Roman control of that time. And they would re, uh, serve imagined gods. They would create many, many gods. And we look back at one of uh, Paul's sermons that he gave to the uh, people in Athens when he talked about, I see all the gods you worship. But here, Paul said, I need to remind you that Jesus is the supremacy over all, all creation, but also a new creation, the body of Christ, the church, something that was never before. We know all about, if you read through the Older Covenant, you read Old, New Old Testament, you get all about the tribes and Abraham and, and uh, Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and all the different tribes, and you can see that in the land. You can see all those places those things took place but when Jesus came to die on the cross, he came to create something new. And that was the body of Christ, the church. So Paul begins to address and present Jesus in dealing with the doctrine of salvation. 
Now that seems big word and all that. It's soteriology. It's soterological way. It's the, the matter of salvation. What Jesus came to do, his purpose, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent Jesus to perform a salvation and function that we might be saved and we might be reconciled to God. Let me give you a couple, few words that define what that looks like. You recognize a bunch of these, I know. There's redemption. We already saw that up in verse, uh, verse 14. In whom we have redemption. There's the forgiveness of sin. Reconciliation. Another big word, propitiation. Justification. Imputation. Regeneration. Sanctification. Glorification. Now, if I put a piece of paper and ask you to define all those words, some of you could just whip those right off. You know what they all mean. Others say... I've heard that word, I don't know what it means. But if you're going to study the scriptures and you're going to study salvation, those are the words that God uses. Those are the words that are in the Bible that talk about this wonderful uh, gift of God, salvation. What Jesus did when he died upon the cross for my sin and yours. He died on the cross for our sins. His blood poured out that we were forgiven at the cross and he was buried and he ascended. He rose again. The third day. And he said he's the head over his body, the church. Now the church, we get a lot of different thoughts about the church. As I'm looking at this passage of scripture, I said, how do I address this in such a way that we grab hold of it? Because it said he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. You know, churches, we've all been a part of them. You know what they are. There's actually a, 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 I don't know if it's true or not, it sounds like a story, but it was an illustration used about a man who was stranded on a very remote island. For years, he was on this island. He happened to be one who liked to build things, and so he built a lot of things on this island. Well, one day, a ship came by, and they landed, and they found the guy on the island. And he said, oh, I'm glad to see you people. Been here a long, long time. Well, what is this beautiful city? Well, I built this city for myself. You know, I built this town here, have a road and all that stuff. Well, what is that beautiful building? Well, that's my church. It's a beautiful building. I built this beautiful church here on my island. And they were looking around. They looked and they said, well, what is that building up on the hill over there? Oh, that's the church I used to go to. All right, some of you are going to get that a while. He couldn't even go to church with himself. I got to build a new church. And that's what he did on his island. You know, people say that criticizing the church, being very critical of the church, is like beating up your grandmother. It's very easy to do. Everybody can do it, but it doesn't, it isn't very edifying. It's easy to pick on the church. It's easy to to criticize it, but like beating up grandma, it doesn't do you much good to do that. In fact, it's not a good thing. People have an idea about church. It's introduced in the book of Colossians. We come down to the verses, there it is. He is the head of the church. The church, those who are saved, those who belong to Jesus are born into his family, his body, the church. 
the church also has a lot of local expressions. Churches around. People have churches. They're there. But it's for the function of unity, of caring for other believers, caring for one another, and functioning as a body. Because the Bible uses the figure, the metaphor of a body to describe it. He said he is the head of the body, the church. So the, for, for the picture for us to grab hold of that, it is a body. We're going to look at several scriptures. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're part of the body of Christ. Now, there may have been a day that you said, well, I want to align myself with this particular expression, Suffield Fellowship, and you're members of this, so we know who you are, and you know who we are, and all that goes on. But this is not the church. It is an expression of the body of Christ. The church is global. We'll talk about that in a minute, how big God's church really is around the world, his body. But in 1 Corinthians 12, it begins to talk about how this body functions under his headship and lordship. Let's go to verse 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. And I'll read it. I'm not going to preach out, there, out of this, but I want you to hear it. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. There's that picture. We're part of the body of Christ. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we're all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm a, not a head, hand, I don't belong to the body, it would, not be for that re it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not be for that reason stopping being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all were one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Now, you're, re you're seeing how this goes. He said everybody in the body, every person, has a part to play within the, the parts. Look at verse 21. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Verse 23, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our present presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving great honor to the parts that lack it, so that there would be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. I could go on with that, but that's the description of what Paul's writing about when he said, and he is the head of the body, the church. That body that is made up of believers that are all wrapped together. Go over to Romans, uh, back, back to Romans, one book. To Romans chapter 12, just a few pages back toward the front of your Bible, chapter 12. I want to read some more about this. 
Verse 4, Romans chapter 12, verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and every member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. The body has many parts. One more passage to look for. Let's go back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. I want you to understand that when Jesus talks about his body, that it is not a physical body in the sense that it's just there. It's a body. It is a multiple of part of people coming together, each one having a gift, each one being a part of the other, and it forms the church, one body. 1 Peter chapter 2, just verse 9 and 10. But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here is what God is saying about his church. If you belong to the Lord Jesus, you are part of his body. He has gifted you, equipped you, so that you could be a functioning part of the church, the body of Christ. And here, Jesus is presented as head of the church. Back in Colossians, it says, he is the head of the church, of the body, the church. He, and he alone. There is no other. It is him. Go to the book of Ephesians. Again, I know I'm having to turn, but you need to see these. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Again, what has God done? Verse 22. And God placed, Ephesians 1, 22, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He is head over the church. He has been appointed. So think of what this means. He has the authority and right to direct his church. He is the head of the church. He has a right over it. And the church and the body of Christ is a spiritual organism connected to Christ and through which he acts and manifests himself. It's, he has chosen to use you, yes, I'm talking to you and me, to represent him to the world. He said, you're lights, you are salt. You are to represent me. Jesus said, all power has been given to you by the Holy, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Acts chapter 1 and then Acts chapter 2, and you'll be my witnesses Everywhere, everywhere you go, you're going to be my representative on the earth. So the body of Christ, every one of us, 
are related to him by faith. We're believers in him. We belong to him. We're child of the king. And now he says, I'm going to use you, collection of people, the church, to do what I ask you to do and to manifest me to the world. Jesus said it clearly. He said, when you see me, you've seen my father. Now, it should be said that if you look at the church, you, see, you should see Jesus. Not another denomination, not another club. Not, it's not a club. It's a representation of who God is. We manifest him. He is the head of the church. You know, once a real body gets the head removed, the head is severed, it's powerless and dead. And a church is powerless and dead without Christ. Years ago, there was a, 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 a pastor, not a missionary, from the underground church in China. He had come out. Somehow they got him out of China. He walked through the United States, saw people, saw the, the church in America. And they asked him before he left, what is the main thing that you're taking away? He said, it amazes me how much you can do as a church and not have Jesus anywhere in it. You call it the church, you do all this stuff, but Jesus is nowhere to be found. The church is the body of Christ. You see, without him, we're nothing, we're dead. We receive our direction from him. We receive the impulses, the touch of him in our life. From the head. Every word and action of the church should be governed and directed by the Lord Jesus, the head of the church. And he directs and empowers the church. Without, think of it, without Jesus, there's no reason to get together like this. And people don't. If they don't know the Lord, why go to church? The church is whatever it is. But when you belong to him, you're part of his family, you're part of the body, and he said you gather together. And you do what he asks you to do. Every word and action of the church is to be governed and directed by the Lord Jesus. He does this. Without him, think of this. Without him, we don't know how, we can't think the truth. What's the truth? How would we know without him? We can't act in a correct way. We can't decide what direction to go. And it means a couple things. One is that the church is a privilege. It's a privilege that we're part of him. To be uh, involved, to be the instrument through which Christ works. I mean, can you imagine? Here we've been reading about how great he is, a creator. And he says, and I choose you, Jim. As Gracie said, this is what Grace said. He's choose, chosen her. Don't look at the person beside you. You might wake him up. But if you do wake him up, look at them and say, God uniquely made you to represent him on the earth. And you need him. You need him to be the director of your life as part of the church. What a privilege that is. Think of it. That God chose to use the likes of us to represent him. And boy, don't you feel like I'll never measure up to that. I'm a failure. How can that ever happen? But it will happen because he empowers us to demonstrate in the book of Acts, they saw some of the disciples and they perceived. One thing we can say about them, they had been with Jesus. Why? Because they looked like Jesus. They talked like Jesus. They acted like him with all his glory and all of his kindness and love and generosity with that. That's wonderful. That's a privilege. The second thing is a warning. 
if a person abuses their body, however they choose to do that, you can make this body of yours unfit to function. It won't work. It just will not work. If you, as a believer, undisciplined and careless in your behavior, the church can make herself unfit for God's service. Breaks my heart sometimes when I see different areas, different information that comes out about churches and pastors and abuses that are taking place. They become unfit. Why? Because they're not representing the Lord Jesus who's head of the church. He said, I desire to walk according to how I made you to walk. So these kind of words come into play. Let me give you a couple of these. Submission to the head. It's not my will, but yours be done. Jesus said it to the Father. That's how you and I should start a day. Lord, here's my day. I submit to you. You're the, you're the head of the body. I'm connected to you. If I'm a hand, I will do what my, your hand wants, you, wants your hand to do. I want to go where, you're, you're, where you want to direct me. I want to move according to you, submitted to you. The other word you could use is unit, uh, union, rather. Not unity, I'll get to that one. Union. Every member is in vital reunion with Christ, who's the very source of our life. So here again, and this is where we need to love one another. I can't look at you and say, if you love God, you don't have what I have. That's not your right. They, if they know God, they're saved. They're re related to their head of the body. We're all head of, we're gener uh, connected to him. The third word I want to use is unity. Because as one body... We are mutually adapted to one another, placed in the body. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, the Holy Spirit puts us there that we can function together as one, as a team, as a body of believers. I hesitate to use the next word because of how uh, it's been changed by our culture. But the diversity of the church, and I don't mean all the cultural nonsense and woke nonsense when I talk about diversity. I'm talking about the differences of people in the body of Christ. We're all different. We have different abilities, different gifts. We have different functions. We have strength together. We have honor. Every part is important. We might not all look the same. We might not all have the gifts, but together we're made up of the body of Christ, and it's a beautiful thing. I remember years ago, we used to sing as we gather around, we are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. That God cares and placed us there. And then we're dependent on each other. That's, there's that mutuality that, that I depend on you. You depend on me. We can't do this thing alone, representing Christ to our community, in our world, to one another. And then that's necessity to grow, to care, to function. Every part, every part of the body is growing into Christ, and we walk that way out. Go back to the book of Colossians really quickly. I'm, gonna, I'm skipping a lot of this, but I've got to hit this so I can get done with this this morning, I think. Colossians 1, verse 18, he's the head of the body. Again, he's the creator of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn raised from the dead. By his resurrection, it made him preeminent over all things. He has conquered the enemy. He has defeated sin. He's defeated death. And he directs the church and empowers the church to fulfill what his purpose is. That's his purpose. That's where we're here. 
He's, as we walk through that, he is the object of my worship. He's the sole reason uh, we're here. This is the means by which we've come to, into his kingdom through what he has done, his salvation for us. And it's the only name by which we can be saved, his name. There is no name given among men in, uh, who, how, whereby we must be saved. John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me, Jesus said. The problem we get into is when we try to assume that preeminence, when we want to get above, there's a, in 3 John chapter 9, there's a man by the name of Diotrephus. And John writes, he said, look out for him. All he desires to do is to have the preeminence, to be the sole leader of the whole thing. He said, don't wa watch out for him. There is only one head, and that's Jesus. No man should attempt to be more than that, other than, than uh, no more than a humble servant of God to say, Jesus, I'm, I will do what you say for your purpose. But neither should you lift up any leader to make him up on a pedestal to say he's, he's it. He's the only one. There is only one, and that's the Lord Jesus. It isn't your pastor. It isn't your leaders. It isn't some person out there that you're always looking to for something. It is only the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The Corinthian, the church at Corinth, they struggled with this issue because they began to fight amongst themselves on who's their leader. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed you that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I'm following Paul. Another one says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? He said, I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Oh, he said, yes, I did baptize the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. The issue is that there is one, and that's Jesus. Go to chapter 3, just over the next page. Look at verse 4. For, one, for when one says, I follow Paul, another said, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? After all, who is Apollos? Who's Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each one his task. He said, God has appointed people, but we don't worship people. We don't worship angels. And the body is comprised of true believers. Listen, it's not my church. It's not your church. It is his church. Jesus Christ founded his church. He's in charge of it. If you had time, you could go through the book, to the book of Revelation and see Revelation chapter 2 and 3 where he writes to the church. You've got to remember that there is going to come a day when the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to return for his church. He's going to be, we're going to be before him and stand at that final day to see him. Listen to this out of Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. 
I can't read all of this ahead of it, but 9 says, And they sang a new song saying to the Lamb, You're worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain. And if with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God. And they will reign upon the earth. It's unto him be glory in the church. From every tongue and tribe and nation. I, I've often tried to imagine that day and I can't do it. But I've been in a number of places around the world and they have languages I don't understand. They sing songs that I don't understand what they're singing. But one day, whether it's English or German or Hebrew or Indian or Romanian or Inuit from uh, Alaska in the, in the Eskimo tribes or the Southern Zulu tribes, there are going to be people gathered around the throne of God, members of the body of Christ, and we're going to stand, be bow before him, and we're going to declare and sing praises in a language, and it is going to be of every tribe, tongue, and nation, and we're going to give honor to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. He is the head of the church. Now, here's our questions, final one. Are you a member of his body? Are you using what he's given you to use? Do you pray for the body of Christ, your brothers and sisters in churches? Are you sharing your faith? Are you shining to the world? And I would say it is our privilege to shine out for him. Final scripture, let me read it for you. I won't ask you to turn to it. It's Ephesians 3. He said, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And I say, amen. Let Jesus do his work in you as a member of the body of Christ. Worship team, come and let's stand before the Lord as we conclude. Again, thank you, Gracie, for sharing with us today. But we want to give him glory. To bow our knee before him. Just bow your heads. Father, we want to give you honor. Jesus, we repent of coming and attacking your church. We repent of our not participating in it as we should. We repent of not using what you've given us to do because we need to show you to a world that's lost and dying. We desire you to find glory in the church forever and ever and ever. And so, Lord, we sing to you today. We bow our knee before you.
Hallelujah, Lord. We bless you. We desire to follow you all the days of our life. Said forever and ever, we're going to give you glory and we give you praise. And all God's people said amen. 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 Greet the body of Christ around you before you leave this morning. You're dismissed. Yes, Lord.